We're joined today by Dr. Christopher Housen, a pain medicine physician with Baycare Clinic Pain and Rehab Medicine. He's here today to discuss workplace-related pain, how current work-from-home situations may complicate things, and treatment options available for patients. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Housen. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, let's go ahead and get started today. So, Dr. Housen, let's start just by talking about pain in general. Pain is something we've all dealt with, but there are different types of pain, and it's important to recognize that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Thanks, Alicia. So, and you're right. There's so many people that suffer from pain on a daily basis, but all those pains can be very different. So it's not a, a one-bucket-fits-all kind, of kind of a situation. When we're dealing and treating with pain, uh, we want to try to classify things and make it simpler from a treatment regimen so that we can study those different types of pain uh, and get better at, at targeting whatever type of pain that is. So as, as doctors, as scientists, we break up pain into different classifications. One of those ways is how long that pain is occurring. So acute pain, something that has been dealing with for maybe less than three weeks, six weeks, depends on the definition. Um, you know, this is the type of pain that happens after surgery or if you crack a rib. Uh, it comes on fast, it's out of nowhere, and the idea is that it should be going away. Um, and you treat that pain differently than subacute pain, which is somewhere between that six to three month mark. And this still could be surgical pain if you had a particularly big surgery. Um, but again, the idea is that subacute nature of pain, we're really trying aggressively to treat it, try to get it to go away. Chronic pain, which is what I deal with uh, for the most part, um, is pain that's lasted longer than three months. And this is where it really becomes problematic because it's not a short-term thing. There's not a short-term solution. Um, we need to find solutions in the long-term. Um, and obviously we're treating that differently than someone who just had surgery yesterday. So that's part of the classification process. One of the other things we do is define what type of pain that is. So not just how long it's been going on, but how do you experience it? Um, so one of the, you know, we, we use a medical term nociceptive. That means that kind of achy, throbby, stabby pain. So that's that arthritis pain, that low back pain, um, that really, I mean, you know, it's an enormous amount of the population suffer from that. It's just part of getting older. Um, the other, so the flip side of that, so not nociceptive, but the other type of pain is neuropathic pain, meaning it's generated from the nerve. And that's a different experience. Someone who has neuropathic pain experiences burning, tingling, pins and needles, numbness, almost like a lightning shock type pain. Um, and that's, you know, the classic thing for that is sciatica, right? So people that have pain that's shooting down into their legs um, or maybe uh, post-herpetic neuralgia. So you have um, a zoster infection, you get a lot of pain in that skin. Even though the rash clears up, you have a lot of pain in that area that's that burning um, and pins and needles numbness type pain. Uh, so we, we use those classifications to help categorize the types of pain and then we know what treatment arm is going to be more effective so we can study that so when i see a patient that comes into the hospital or to my clinic i know that maybe this medication is not the right thing maybe i should be focusing on this other medication because it's a nerve type pain or maybe it's this type of medication because it's an arthritis type pain um, so it helps give the doctors the scientists that are treating patients uh, a better chance of of being more effective um, in covering whatever type of pain whether that's the acute subacute or chronic type pain yeah, and that's an interesting distinction because it really makes a difference in how you treat it. So, uh, you know, from a patient standpoint, they're coming to you. You can help identify and classify that pain that they're having. Exactly. I mean, a lot of patients, they know when they get there. They, they, you know, they know that they've had knee pain for the last 10 years and can tell me exactly where it is, what's causing it. They have a pretty good idea, at least. 
Um, so, you know, you listen to the patient, but you're listening for those buzzwords. Is it aching? Is it throbbing? Is it numbness? Right. And that can help classify which way you're going and kind of give you a path for treatment. Yeah, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about one of those that you mentioned, and that being chronic pain, being the one that you guys deal with the most. Um, how common of a problem is chronic pain in the patients that you see? Can you quantify that? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, so you look at, you know, so in the world we live in, uh, there's a lot of big data. Um, so you can look at healthcare systems, maybe like in England or Canada, um, who can track massive amounts of populations in the U.S. Hospital systems can, you can target uh, electronic data and track this. So depending on the study you read, you're looking at somewhere between 20 and 40% of the population is going to suffer from chronic pain at some point in their life. I mean, that's an enormous number. We talk about how many millions of people are living here. Um, and, you know, if you're sitting in an office with 10 people, that means probably three out of that 10 are dealing or have been dealing with chronic pain. That's a huge number. Um, so obviously we're, we're fairly busy. We, we can try to manage that. Um, but, but yeah, it's a huge problem. And it, it costs a lot of healthcare dollars. Um, yeah. because chronic pain isn't just an experience. It's going to spill over and cause problems with your sleep or your relationships or your ability to work. I know we're going to touch on that a little bit later, um, but it's not just a, an experience that you have that's sort of isolated. Uh, this is something that spills over to almost every aspect of your life. So when we're treating pain, we're identifying pain, we're identifying what's going on, but we also want to identify what other aspects of your life are affected by this and can we improve on those things as well. Maybe it's simply just treating the pain, but maybe we need to work with other things to, to minimize the risk of that pain coming back. Yeah, and that's a great segue because I wanted to touch on, and obviously it'll be different for every patient, but what are some of the most common causes of, of this chronic pain that everyone is dealing with? Sure. So I guess, I mean, from a, from a personal standpoint, from my clinic standpoint, and, and really I mean, and my, the numbers in, in here in Green Bay are very similar to across the country, um, probably about one in three patients that I see is back pain. So that low back pain. Yeah. Um, and that can include pain that shoots in the legs, but it's certainly starting there in the, in the lumbar spine. That's 30%, so one in three. That's the highest number, uh, you know, the highest area that I see pain in. The neck um, is about 15%, so about half the amount of patients I see for back pain I see for neck pain, but it's just as problematic, um, maybe even more so. And then in between there are headaches and, and then knee pain. So knee pain is probably about 20%, one in five, the people that I see now. I work with a collaborative team, so knee pain can be treated by a primary care physician. All these things can be treated by a primary care physician or an internal physician, but also a specialist like an orthopedic um, can help share that, you know, that patient care and make sure that we're getting people to the right, the right treatment arms. Um, so I share that headache is a similar thing. So headaches probably about somewhere between 15 and 20, just depends on the numbers uh, and the kind of the studies you're reading, but headache, I, I partner um, with some of my colleagues at the Aurora system um, and the neurology clinic, for example, has a, has a, a headache clinic, especially just for headaches. So I'm seeing those patients, but I'm usually working in a collaborative team with knee pain and, uh, and, and headaches. With neck pain or low back pain, I may see them right off the bat. They may have not gone through a neurosurgeon. Now, oftentimes, they're working with their primary care doctor. They're working with their chiropractor um, and getting the care they need if the conservative measures that they've been using aren't working out, then a lot of times that's when they get referred to a specialist like me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you had mentioned this briefly too, just some of the behaviors that we do on a daily basis, maybe causing some of that pain or exacerbating some of the pain that we that we have. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the industry factors or the workplace situations that may play into making those situations or that problem worse? 
Sure, and I mean I'm as guilty as anybody in a lot of these things. So I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm holding everybody else to a higher standard because I do the same stuff. But you know, it's interesting. So when you when you look at say like let's say back pain, what you think you're going to see um, are the people that are out there doing heavy lifting, right? So you're talking about physical labor jobs, people that are working their their bottoms off, um, and they're doing construction work. They're working in a factory. They're doing their working down an assembly line. You know, a lot of that work. And again, I see that all the time. But what's fascinating to me um, is I also see in probably just as many numbers, people that are sitting in an office, uh, people that are working at a desk all day, teachers, uh, nurses, you know, healthcare. I work in healthcare. We're not immune to this. Nurses are, are doing incredible amounts of, of lifting and heavy labor and walking on their feet all day uh, in a hospital system. Um, so I see my colleague, my nursing colleagues as well. Um, there's no industry that's immune to this. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, which is frustrating to a certain extent, but I think it's dealing with these things as part of the human condition. Part of pain is telling us that maybe something's wrong. So that helps us kind of adjust our behavior when it becomes a chronic problem, then, you know, then maybe a specialist has to step in and treat that. Um, you know, some of the more common things I see, um, regardless of whether you're doing that heavy lifting or we're in the office, um, is just bad mechanics. And I, and I don't mean that as a, as a derogatory term because I, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. Um, but the way that our bodies are developed, there's very specific ways to lift. And you, you know, everybody hears this, lift with your knees, you know, don't lift with your back with your knees, right? That, it, it's, it's real, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of a cliche because we say it all the time, but it, it's, it's true. Um, especially people that are, uh, you know, bending and twisting at the same time, the spine is really not designed to hold that kind of pressure. You put a lot of weight, uh, and exertional force in your in the kind of the disc of your spine, and that can cause a lot of problems. Um, so mechanics can make a big difference. Preparing your workspace, which I know we'll touch a little bit later in terms of some of the people that are working out of a home office, um, people that are out in a, in a factory on assembly line. Proper footwear is something that gets under underutilized. Um, you know, you're standing all day. You're working on a concrete floor. You're walking around on a very hard surface. If you don't have the proper arch support, you don't have the right footwear, over time, that repetitive trauma to your feet, to your back, can cause problems. And that's a relatively simple solution. It doesn't involve healthcare. It's going and getting a nice pair of fitted shoes, making sure you have arch support, uh, and that can play a huge role in trying to prevent some of these problems down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, again, you segued perfectly into it because I feel like a lot of people who may be working or even typical office workers now who've been forced to kind of work from home due to the current situation with the COVID-19 pandemic and things like that. A lot of us are probably in makeshift workstations, those kinds of things. Have you seen um, or noticed a change in your practice since people have kind of shifted to more of those maybe less adequate workspaces at home? Sure. Um, you know, it's a subtle change because there, there are people that are that are having you know these pain things even at work. I mean, just being have a nice ergonomic setup at the office doesn't preclude the possibility of having some painful issues. But when you go home and leave that nicely situated cubicle or that office that you have, um, things can start to break down. And you know, I'll, I'll kind of go into it briefly. But there's because of the COVID pandemic and because of some of the changes that almost every industry has seen pushing people back into the home, trying to keep them safe um, and socially distanced. There's a lot of resources out there for how to set up a home office. Now, again, not most people don't have just oodles of money to sit around and just kind of buy this all these fancy things that you may have at your office. So there's a lot of the things are very simple, right? So 
Uh, I'll briefly go through them if you don't mind, Alicia. That, no, that's perfect. Um, so, and I really, I like to think of it as a, from top to bottom. So let's start with up here, the head and the neck, right? So let's presume that with a home office, you know, if you're working from home, you're probably working on a computer. Um, that's, and that's how you're gonna do all your commerce. When you're sitting at a desk and you're looking at a computer screen, if you have a laptop, which is what most people have nowadays, that laptop sitting on a computer, it's small, right? Small is very cool. It's 11 inches, it's, four, it's 12 inches, it's 13 inches. It's not a big desktop screen. So you end up looking down, right? You're facing down, looking at that screen. That puts a lot of pressure on your neck. Can you do it for an hour or two for a Zoom meeting here or there? Yeah, absolutely. Can you do it every day for eight hours for the last nine months? Well, you know, yeah, but you're going to have some problems. So when you're looking at your screen, if you're sitting at your home office and you're listening to me right now on your computer, I want you to look at your screen because you want your eyes to be just about level with kind of that, that top banner bar of your window. Uh, because that kind of puts your neck in a neutral position um, and sets you up for success. We move on down lower to the to the kind of the, the mid-back and low-back region, right? So this is probably the most common issue is that people don't have a big fancy chair that has a lumbar support and has all these gadgets and gizmos that you can adjust and try to lean forward and lean back. You need to have some lumbar support. And again, you can buy a chair. You know, you can go anywhere. Any regular store is going to have an office chair. You can get them online. You don't have to leave out your home. Um, and it's going to have a lot of adjustments where you can move that seat up and down. You want to make sure that you're able to that, you know, how your legs are sitting. You can adjust the lumbar support. You want to be very slightly reclined um, in a relaxed position, but you also want to have maybe, you know, if, again, if you don't have that fancy office chair, they make lumbar support cushions. And if you don't have that, you can just use a towel and just put that behind your back and put that lumbar spine. And again, in a neutral position, you're going to hear me say that a lot. You just want it to be relaxed. Um, we move on a little farther down. Now we're looking at the hips and the legs. So two big things there. You want your feet to be touching the ground. You know, I'm talking about how you can raise this chair, but now, well, if you raise it so high to make your desk feel right, if depending on your stature, you're gonna, you're gonna your feet are gonna um, That's gonna cause a problem. It's gonna cause a problem over time. So you can get a little box, a little step, whatever it is to put some, um, some support under your feet so that you can sit relatively flat-footed and have your feet at close to a 90-degree angle or just above that. Uh, you want to make sure that the way you're sitting in your chair, that your chair design, the calves of your of your of your uh, legs aren't stuffed against the, the seat because that can cause some venous uh, insufficiency problems. Right, the blood can't flow all the way back, and you get a lot of swelling in your legs. Um, so, I think we talked about neck, we talked about head, low back, your hips, your legs. The one thing I left out is your arms. Um, so when you're sitting at your desk, and I can, well, and you can sort of you can almost see me here. So. When you're sitting at a desk, you want your elbows to be at a 90 degree angle. This is a great, a great example of what it shouldn't be, right? Because my arms are curled up like this. And then for me to type, I got to be up here like this. It's no good, right? It's bad for your wrists. It's bad for your arms. So you're going to want to raise that seat up, whatever you have at home, whether you need to or raise the desk down if you've got a fancy desk that moves up and down. Um, you want that to be level. And then again, for your keyboard, if you have a laptop keyboard, that's a challenge because then you're leaning over here like this. You got to reach over here to type and you're going to be typing all day. If you have the money, get an external keyboard or, again, try to move that laptop a little closer um, to uh, to make that that reaching process something that you don't have to do regularly. It's something that you can very neutrally read forward. You don't have to bend your back. You lean forward and you're able to type and, and, and conduct your business the way you need to. Um, those, again, I like it. It's easy for me to think about it from head to toe. You can think about it however you want. Um, but those are some of those things that I've seen in this. If you get online, there's a bunch of resources available. 
for how to set up that home office if you haven't already. And you know, with with where we are with this COVID nineteen thing, hopefully, you know, if you have the option, you're still at home because you know we're still we're still right in the midst of it. You just given us some very good tips um, to kind of alleviate that pain, and I, I do want to talk about it. And you touched on it briefly earlier about how much um, chronic pain or issues with chronic pain can really affect a person's quality of life. And I, and I think maybe sometimes that part of it is forgotten in some instances. So can you talk about how um, this impacts other areas of life, including sleep or even relationships or work performance? Sure, yeah, so I mean, what, unfortunately what we're dealing with here is kind of a domino effect um, because we're living in, in a world that's very stressful, right? Um, that's kind of the way that we're set up now, but then you add COVID on top of it and you're at home all the time and everything's stressful. Um, and that again can cause decreased sleep and decreased problems. Now pile onto that chronic pain, um, crawl onto that uh, neck pain that just doesn't go away that you're constantly aching at and, and trying to massage your neck out and you're asking your partner uh, or your friend to help give you a massage, just something to help take that away. Well then, yeah, your pain is gonna interfere with your sleep. It's gonna make you short because you didn't get a lot of sleep. So now you don't have the patience you normally have with your friends, your partner, your children, uh, your parents, whoever it is. Um, and so you get this nasty domino effect. Then you're more stressed because your relationships are not where you want them to be. We know from, from plenty of research that when you have poor sleep, when you're stressed, when you have um, depression, all of these things are gonna play a role in how you perceive pain. So all of a sudden, that pain that was just a nuisance becomes a problem. And it's not because you changed your neck, it's because all these other factors are contributing. So you get this, you know, this piece of the pie and this piece of the pie and this piece of the pie and everything comes together um, and create kind of a nasty situation. So if we can take out one of those things, right? I can't fix COVID, um, you know, everybody's working on it, everybody's working on it. Uh, but we can treat chronic pain um, and we can treat the kind of pain that you're having that's contributing to the poor sleep and contributing to the changes in your relationships and contributing to your motivation to get out there and and work or play with your kids or help out with something uh, in your neighborhood, whatever it is, um, we can treat part of that problem and then hopefully everything else starts to improve as well. Again, we can only control so many things, but if we have the opportunity, we should control those things. We should fix those things or at least treat those things um, so that everything else can attempt to fall back in line. Yeah, and I think that's so important because I think so often People just contributed to age or stress or they're just something that they have to live with. But this is this is something that you guys can treat and that they shouldn't ignore these pain signals. Can we reiterate that again? And, and can this lead to other issues if they don't get it treated or taken care of? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll give you an example. I saw someone today um, who had had, I mean, they kind of dealt with this kind of mid-back, kind of a, a yucky, nebulous back pain. They couldn't put a finger on it, it was just kind of everywhere but it had been building for eight years. And mm -hmm. so for the first year, you deal with it, you take some over-the-counter medicine, maybe uh, you stretch it out, you do what you can do at home, but then you kind of learn to live with it. And so yeah. year two goes by, year five, year seven, year eight. So I'm seeing this patient eight years in, um, and we do some relatively simple interventions, and then I see her back today, and she's like, I cannot believe that I didn't come sooner. You know, I can't believe that I just kind of let this go because I forgot what this felt like. I forgot what, what it felt like to go to sleep at night and not kind of have this pain. I forgot how, you know, waking up in the morning and going to the bathroom, like everybody does, getting out of bed and saying, I don't have this pain anymore, or at least it's 90% better. I mean, that's something that we can do and we don't want to go 
years because we have the opportunity at year two or year one or six months right. or three months to make a difference. And so when somebody's not living like that, we can change their quality of life. And certainly, you know, that's that's an absolute goal. We want to change quality of life. We want to change their pain. We want to make them more functional so that they can go out and go on a bike ride or take their dog for a walk or go and play with their grandchildren or what, go, go uh, you know, play around a golf. Whatever that kind of daily activity that you want to do that you're limited because of your pain, we want to make sure that you can get out there and do that because then, again, things start to clear up, your relationships, your mood. If you're able to do the stuff you want to do, life gets a lot better and we can help facilitate that. Um, the last thing I should touch on is that there are conditions that if left untreated can become a bigger problem. And I'm very lucky. I work in a practice that has lots of specialists. Um, we have orthopedic surgeons. We have neurosurgeons. We have general surgeons. We have all kinds of people that can help. Um, if really that pathology, that where that pain is coming from, starts to get to the point that there isn't a simple fix, maybe it's a surgical fix, I'm very happy I work in a, in a clinic that has that ability to make that uh, to make that treatment arm work. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get there. If there's a way to make some simple interventions five years earlier that are going to prevent that process, prevent that degenerative cascade, then, you know, that's, that's my role is to, is to try to get you away from those things. And it's not going to work every time. There's sometimes that whether it's genetics, whether it's kind of what's going on in the environment around you, there's no way to avoid that knee replacement surgery. It's a, you know, one of the most common surgeries in the U S but if we can prevent it or maybe, maybe stall it for five years or 10 years, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about some of those treatment options. Uh, that you guys can provide and then and you touched on it already just the collaborative effort between you guys and the orthodox and everything that we have here at baycare but can you talk about some of the treatment options that are available for for, for chronic pain so a lot of what i do is working within kind of a multidisciplinary team um, and so i'm working hand in hand with your primary care doctor or your internal medicine doctor i'm working hand in hand with a physical therapy office um, whether that's here or around the city I'm working hand in hand with a chiropractic doctor. Um, we have very, very, very good doctors around this town um, of chiropractor who have studied this and they can, again, manipulate your spine, manipulate your neck, your knee, whatever it is to prevent that degenerative cascade. So I'm working within that system and we all work together towards the same goal. Um, typically when someone comes to see me, they've tried a lot of the, what you would consider the easier stuff, right? They're, they've reached for the Tylenol or the Advil or the Aleve. They've seen their, their local chiropractor um, and maybe they had benefit, probably they did, but it's, it's still left them not where they want to be. They still can't play that round of golf. They still can't hang out with their grandkids the way they want. Um, they still are having pain when they sit down in their office, their home office at work and their back's bothering them. So within that multi multidisciplinary system, I start to add other things, and sometimes that's medications. Um, and you know, quite frankly, most of the time, um, with myself, I work with with five other uh, pain physicians in my department. We're using non-opioid medication, right? Before the before the COVID nineteen pandemic, we had this big issue with the opioid epidemic, and there's absolutely a role for those medicines. But for a lot of times, we can avoid them because uh -huh. they've got kind of the, all these. Uh, I don't want to say. Um, stigma around them and again not bad medicines but we have to use them the right patients and a lot of times we don't need those so we're using multimodal medications these things are not addictive they're not going to hurt you for the most part again in a you know i obviously have to review everything and make sure that we're putting this in a complete picture into a context but um, we're using medications if unfortunately you know it, it, the medications don't work or they don't provide the need you want there is a next step we're climbing this ladder um 
to get to the outcome we want, then sometimes that means we may need to do some sort of a procedural intervention. And so a lot of times that's an injection that could be for your joints, that could be for your back. Um, we use steroids quite often. We also have started using radio waves, um, which is a non-steroid based procedure to help give longer term outcomes. So you're looking at people that are getting six, 12, you know, 18 months of pain relief after a radio wave procedure, and they don't have to see me. I mean, they're happy, right? Nobody wants to come see a pain doctor. I get that. Um, I'm not offended. If I'm doing my job, it means you're out there doing what you want to do. So if we can find those treatment arms, um, whatever that is that we need to use, we find it and we tailor it to you so that you're getting kind of the care that you need. Yeah, and I want to talk about just that tailoring that you just mentioned because so much of what you guys do is, is sort of identifying the root cause of the pain and, and it's really about this big picture. So can you talk about that and, and how you decide what treatment options are, are best for each patient? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I uh, we talked at the very beginning of this segment about classifying pain. Is mm -hmm. it is this a is this a acute pain? Is this a chronic pain? Is it a nociceptive? Is that achy throbby pain? Is it a burny electric shock type pain? We classify this because we know which medications from from our practice, from the studies out there, from what we learned in training and fellowship, we know which medicines are going to be more likely to help. We know which procedures are going to be more likely to help. So when you come to my office, the first thing I do is ask you questions, right? How do you feel it? Where do you feel it? Does it travel anywhere? How long have you had it? Are there activities you can do, can't do? What makes it better? We're asking all these things. We're going to we're going to really dial in on what's happening, and then you know, you, we're going to have you come up to an exam chair and I'm going to kind of put you through your paces, right? We're going to be pushing on your back and your hips. We're going to be moving your joints around, trying to provoke and figure out what's going on. All of that's put into a context so that I can figure out and properly diagnose what's going on because that's the most important thing. Like, what is it? Then we can treat it. But even once I know what it is, the treatment arm is going to vary because there may be medications that are not the right option for you. Let's say, I know I work down the hall from a, from a really incredible group of cardiologists. Let's say I'm saying a patient has a heart disease. There may be medications that are probably gonna help their pain, but it may hurt their heart. And I don't wanna cause that, right? So because then the cardiologist's mad at me, that's no fun. So we we really wanna put our, our, our treatment arm in the context of the patient and really dial into this kind of patient-centered care um, there's not a one size fit all. There's not a magic bullet. It's it's a discussion. It's an exam. It's kind of finding out what's the right thing. And sometimes there are multiple right things. And we have that discussion. Like, look, I think these three options are all reasonable. I think they're all going to help. What's right for you? And you know, there may be issues, right? COVID nineteen situation. They may not want to be going in and out of a hospital to do this, that, and the other. They may want to be doing something at home or a medication they can take the privacy of their own home. Then we have that discussion because certainly, you know, whatever it is may not be the right option for them, or it is. That's a discussion we have to have uh, with every patient because because it's going to differ every time. Absolutely. So it's definitely an individualized process, um, a conversation like you had mentioned, just with each and each individual patient on a case by case basis. So if I am someone who maybe thought that chronic pain was just something that I have to live with, it's a matter of getting older and those kinds of things, um, what recommendations do you have for me or, or what is my first step if I'm if I'm someone who's dealing with maybe some chronic pain that needs to be addressed? I guess the first step is is don't don't feel like you're you have to live with it. Don't feel like that this is the only option you have that you that you're getting older. And everybody, you know, older is a that varies drastically, right? I mean 
I could, it does, it depends on the day, I could feel pretty old. But <laughs> then, you know, it, so it, that definition varies, but even, even still, don't, don't settle. You know, there, we don't give out any medals for being super tough. I think it's great if you can tough through it. That's kind of the way I was raised, right? But it gets to a point that you can only go so far with that. Um, so typically, you know, reach out to your family practice doctor, reach out to your chiropractor. These are people that you probably already have a relationship with. They understand you. They know you. They know some of your medical issues. They can give you that patient-centered care. That's, a, that's the perfect place to start. That's where I expect you to start. Um, if things get to the point where it's just not, it's still not where you want, even with their care, which I'm sure would be excellent, if it's not where you want it to be, then yeah, okay, maybe it's time to come and see a specialist um, because that's what I do all day. That's what I spent, you know, I spent extra training doing just that, not doing anesthesia, not doing medicine, not doing surgery, just trying to figure out how to deal with chronic pain. That's what I'm here for. It's what I love doing. Um, so if it gets to the point that that first step, you're just not where you want to be, by all means, um, you know, come and see a specialist. Absolutely. And and just for reference point, does someone need a referral to come and see you or can they request an appointment directly? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tricky question. So the answer most of the time is no, you don't necessarily have to have a referral, but we don't live in a perfect world. Uh, right. And insurance companies oftentimes like to see that. Um, yeah. So it kind of, if, if you're working with your primary care already or you're working with your chiropractic doctor or you're working with your internal medicine doctor, um, you can ask for a referral and that's a very quick and easy process. And a lot of times that kind of makes the process easier, not from my standpoint, cause I'm happy to see you regardless, but from an insurance standpoint, because, let's be honest, you know, when the insurance companies are happy, everybody's sort of happy. Um, nobody's happy when insurance companies are mad. Of course. Of course. So I do want to circle back to, um, and you had, you gave us some of those great tips for, for working from home. Could you do just a quick recap of, of some of those things that maybe people should be paying attention to as far as their work situations, if they are experiencing maybe additional pain or worse pain because of the things that they're doing now from a work from home basis? Listen to your body. If you're doing something that every day you've noticed is causing neck pain or back pain or foot pain or hip pain or whatever it is, listen to your body and try to sort out what that is. So take that message. Okay, my neck hurts. And then listen to what we're talking about here. Say, okay, well, he talked about my head. He talked about my neck. What did he say? Oh, he said, make sure my screen is high up. Make sure my neck is in a neutral position. Um, work on my low back. Use lumbar support. Make sure my feet are touching the ground. Make sure I'm not causing... Uh, any issues where I'm getting swelling in my legs. The one thing I didn't mention that I think is probably most important uh, of all this stuff, because again, the ergonomics of how you're sitting is, is vastly important. Don't be afraid to take a break. Um, you know, and that and that means getting up and walking around. Probably not going to the kitchen because again, I'm 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 uh, as much to blame as anybody because when you're at home, it's real easy to just snack all day. Um, that's not great. But hydrate yourself, right? Get some water, get uh, tea, whatever that is. Um, take a break every, you know, every hour, take a few minutes, break, walk around, stretch. Um, they use this rule, the 20, 20, 20 rule. And so it means that for every 20 minutes that you're sitting in front of a, of a computer screen, I want you to take a 20 second break and look at something 20 feet away. Yeah. And that helps, uh, you know, with your eyes, with your vision so that you're not having problems. It just helps your eyes kind of take a break as well. Um, so that 20, 20, 20 rule, which I didn't mention before, but some of it is, is certainly important. Absolutely. This was excellent information. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, you know, I guess just thanks for having me. Um, we're here for you, right? I mean, this is, this is what we do. This is, this is what we love doing. Um, if, 
if you're dealing with pain that doesn't feel right, um, it's probably not right. So, you know, see your doctor, see your specialist, uh, get it taken care of before it comes a problem uh, down the road. Absolutely. Dr. Housen, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. Again, Dr. Christopher Housen is a pain medicine physician with Baycare Clinic Pain and Rehab Medicine. Again, if you want to learn more about Baycare Clinic Pain and Rehab Medicine or would like to request an appointment, please visit baycare.net. Thank you and have a nice day.